1: Yo, yo, what's going on? This is Peter J. Kim on the Food 52 Podcast Network, back for Season 3 of Counter Jam, the show that celebrates culture through food and music. It is so great to be back, and we're kicking things off by digging into Indian culture. We'll talk about biryani, mangoes, rasmalai, and the wonders of Indian street food. We're also going to get into some deeply personal stories of family and memory with musician and podcast producer Rishikesh Sherway, chef Manit Chauhan, and multi-instrumentalist musician Sunny Jain. This is a track from Sunny's band Red Barat, which takes a wide range of musical styles and weaves them together with a hip-moving, head-bopping rhythm driven by a Punjabi drum called the Dole. Here's Sonny's take on the Dole.
0: It's embedded in Punjabi culture and music and dance. It's a, a big barrel instrument that is kind of slung over your shoulder. There's a high side and there's a low side. And I fell in love with it just because the ability to move around and be mobile, to be amongst people, to be in the community playing this instrument and feeling it resonate, literally because it's against your body and your gut. You feel it resonating throughout you. And it just has such a glorious, festive sound.
1: The band's name itself is a reference to the Bharat, a joyous wedding march that is traditional in Punjab. It's the music of celebration, and it shows. So enjoy the glorious festive rhythm of this track, Shruggy G by Red Bharat. Was Shruggy G by Red Barat. This show, Counter Jam, is all about celebrating cultural identity. One of the dangers of talking about identity, though, is being culturally reductive. That's to say, simplifying a complex culture to such a degree that it does it a disservice. One example of this is reducing Indian food to quote unquote curry. This catch-all term is really not a word in any Indian language and it actually originated from British and Portuguese colonists who basically coined a word to describe the food that those people ate. You'll notice that we don't use the word curry in this episode and it's mainly because well it's not a particularly useful word. Saying I love curry is like saying I love entrees. Worse still, the word curry devalues the immense diversity of dishes found across the Indian subcontinent. Of course, it's far less common to apply this reductive lens to Western food cultures. Chef Manit and I talked about this.
2: I come from a country where the cuisine is so beautiful and it's so vast and it's gorgeous, right? Right. I really want to be an ambassador and let people know how beautiful Indian cuisine could be.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because you think about what is the population of like Italy. It's like, I don't know exactly what it is. It's probably under 50 million. What is the population of India? It's like, yeah, 1.3 billion, something like that. There are literally scores of Italys within India. And, you know, yes. each of these regions in India has its own cuisine. So, you know, to me, it, it's always a little shocking when somebody is in any way uh, disappointed if somebody is cooking within the Indian canon, which is a massive I one. Yeah.
2: I know. I know. But if, if there is a non-Indian who's doing it, they get a lot of props for it. We, we <laughs> went to a lot of these restaurants where we're like, oh, curried garbanzo. I'm like, okay. But I almost feel a responsibility to make sure that we, we shine a positive light on what a gorgeous cuisine Indian cuisine is.
1: So let's take a closer look at this gorgeous cuisine. And what better place to look than in the home kitchen? I asked chef and restaurateur Manit Chauhan, star of the TV show Chopped, about the food she ate growing up in India. Manit was born in Punjab in the north of India and then spent most of her childhood in Ranchi in the east of India.
2: So most of the cooking was done by mom, uh, you know, and it was very uh like everything was very seasonal because farmers markets were the only markets that we had. So every Sunday uh, morning, uh, my dad had, a you know, like a Vespa, like a scooter, and I was his wingman and we would go to the farmers market and whatever was available seasonally, we would buy from there. I remember like, you know, and these are farmers who... Um, you know, local farmers who would get uh, their stuff. I still remember like the guy who used to sell the potatoes and onions and they were the same jokes every week. (laughs) We would go to him and he would look at dad and say, okay, can I go ahead and pack five pounds, uh, I mean, five Mm -hmm. kgs, both of onions and (laughs) potatoes. And dad would be like, "I, I am not, feeding her wedding party and I'm like you're so cheap you think so few people will come in hindsight yes it was just like you know five of us at at our wedding but it was it was really fun but also there were things that I really got to appreciate like um you know carrots especially red carrots red carrots were available for only one to two weeks in the entire year in December mm. and we used to really look forward to it because mom would make this gajar ka halwa which is this carrot mm. pudding um, with those red carrots and the red carrots are sweeter right and they used to have a little bit more of that almost that um, you know that carroty, citrusy flavor to it so it was just incredible and we would just get lots of it and just peel it and then you know make it and then freeze it And then hope that the electricity doesn't go, but then also hope that the electricity goes because that would mean we have to take it out and finish the whole thing because we can't throw it. So, so that
3: was,
2: so that, so that was a lot of fun. But it was interesting because our entire diet was plant based, right? Like each and every meal was either, you know, one sauteed vegetable, a dal and a roti. And on special occasions, probably once or twice a month, we would have non-veg, right? Which is either goat or chicken. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite memories is my grandmom coming down and we used to have two mango trees in our Mm -hmm. backyard. And I was not allowed to climb it because I was the, you know, that the tomboy who had fallen, broken my, you know, stitches on my cheek, head, like constantly, always in trouble. But every time she would come, she would be like, okay, Vineet, climb up the tree And then we would break all the raw mangoes because this she would come during summer. And then we would fill these bags with the mangoes that we had plucked, take it to the vegetable market because there was one lady over there with a really sharp knife who could cut through the pith of the mango, the seed, the mango seed. Uh And she would cut it into these small cubes. We would get it home like crisp white cotton sheets, dry it in the sun and then grandma would pickle oh, it.
3: My and it was
2: just like such, such amazing uh, like, uh, memories.
1: Sunny and I also waxed poetic about the magnificent mango, one of the many wonders of the fruit world.
0: There was one specific summer because it was the first time my brother and I went alone without my parents. My uncle had come to the States and took us back to, to be with the family for three months. And I remember we were eating mangoes at like Every meal, like even breakfast and lunch and dinner. And I love mangoes, but it took me, it took me years to be able to eat a, a regular mango afterwards. Like I love <laughs> mango flavor, anything like shakes, you know, ice cream, whatever. But I wouldn't even mess with or eat a mango for years afterwards. I was so, I was so saturated with the different types of mangoes we we're eating every day for three mm. months straight. I was like, oh my God, I can't eat another mango as much as I love it. I'm just so sick of mangoes right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I actually lived in Cameroon in Central Africa. I did the Peace Corps there for a little over two years, and there also is an, an incredible variety of mangoes in Cameroon too. Uh-huh. And uh, I, when you know, I was living there, I experienced a few different sort of mango seasons, and when it's in full bloom. It's like there's a carpet of mangoes because there's so many. People are just walking on them, and you see like yeah. mango skins everywhere. And mangoes <laughs> cost almost nothing to buy because you can just wow. go and pick them up. And I ate so many damn mangoes <laughs> uh one year. And uh, uh and you know, you're not even like being that meticulous about eating all the flesh off of the thing because you're just like next mango, right? Um <laughs> And uh, one year, actually, after the the mango season, I got this like crazy rash that like covered almost my entire body. Oh wow! Um, and I had no idea what it was. I got like treated for it, and eventually it went away. And it was this big mystery for me. Like, wait, where did that like full body rash come from? Until uh-huh. the following year, after mango season kicked in again, I started I noticed another patch of like rash showing up on my body, and it was. I was literally in the moment when I saw that rash starting to come out in my body, I was holding a bag of mangoes and there was mango juice dripping down my chin and I was holding a mango that I was eating. And I was like, maybe this has something to do with it wow. because it's like the second year during the mango season. And, yeah. um, and so I just paused on mango eating and I didn't have the allergic reaction that year. I've since been able to eat eat mangoes, but um, I had, I I took a break from mangoes for a little while because actually like I did literally get sick from mangoes. Um, I ate so many of them. Wow. Yeah.
0: Crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. Wow, (laughs) And and, and you don't have those allergic reactions anymore.
1: No, no. For, for years I was careful with mangoes and I've now recently started like tiptoeing my way back, but you know, kind of like you, like I have a mango here and there and usually I'm like that's okay. And then like kind of like a furrowed brow, like could be better. <laughs> you know, it's not like this, like full on, like launching myself at
0: mangoes and just like eating them like cookie yeah. monster,
1: you know? Right. Um, right.
0: What's crazy. It's, what's crazy. It's like, I, I, I still can consi- like afterwards consistently was getting anything mango flavored. Like even to this day, it's like, I won't eat a mango, but if I'm, if I'm at a place and there's margaritas, I'm like, do you have a mango margarita or, you know, if I'm at an ice cream shop, do you have, do you have mango sorbet? Like, yeah. I love mango flavor, but for whatever reason, I couldn't go back for so long to eat a regular mango. Just couldn't do it.
1: <laughs> back to Manit, I asked her to describe for me her mom's kitchen when she was growing up.
2: You know, it was a really uh, a small kitchen with a lot of like really... Now I I've, I call them old tools, but those were the ones which, you know, which were available over there. One of my favorite sensory memories of growing up is um, sound. The milk that we would get in um, at that time was unpasteurized. Mm. So that meant that the, you know, the milkman would come in the morning, he would, you know, measure the milk, put it in a bowl, and then we would bring it to a boil,
3: right,
2: right to, to kind of pasteurize it. Once you got it to the boil, all the the cream would set up on top. Right. And on Sunday mornings, she would make butter out of it. Mm. And the butter was, um, you know, the butter churner was a wooden handle with four prongs, almost like, a, you know, they have that Mexican, um, the churners, the modelos, modelos yeah, yeah. exactly right. like that. So I remember getting up on Sunday mornings, to the sound of this, um. right? Because her rings were on and it would be a wooden, she would be making the butter and we would be so happy because we are getting fresh butter. And everything, uh, all, all the utensils were uh, stainless steel and buckets. I remember buckets being in the kitchen because water would, direct water would only come twice a day. So we had to make sure that all containers were full of water at either six o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the evening.
1: Manit told me about one of her favorite foods that her mom would prepare on Sundays.
2: The aloo parantha. Which is spiced potato stuffed flatbreads, and I think I make a mean version of it, but it's not as good as her. There were always more more potato than the bread in it, yeah. and that and that was Sunday morning, so fresh butter on top of that. <laughs> like just melting. Um, and uh, there is there is this um, joke in the family that apparently like when I was still a baby, uh, my mom was making uh, aloe paranthas and my sister was eating it. And then she comes running to my mom and says that, oh, I made sure that the baby also tasted it because it's so good. And this was before I started solids. So I keep on telling my sister, I blame you. It was like, you know, tasting like the tiger tasting blood for the first time.
1: Sunny, whose last name is Jain, grew up in a household that practiced, appropriately enough, Jainism. Jainism is one of the oldest religions in India, dating back over two millennia. It comes with a particular set of dietary practices, as Sunny explained.
0: One of the main tenets is nonviolence. And because of that, all Jains uh, are vegetarian and a lot are vegan nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to minimize the consumption upon the earth and, and not hurting any sentient beings. So I grew up also another caveat with it is a lot of Janes don't eat root vegetables Mm. and they won't do bulbs like garlic or onions. Uh So I actually grew up with my
1: mom not cooking with onions and garlic. I'm Korean American. The idea of not using garlic... It's like, <laughs> it's
3: like,
1: I'm like, it's like a, a, music without rhythm. You know, I just can't even imagine what
0: that even
3: could
1: possibly look like, <laughs> but that's my I know, own. My I totally idea. hear you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, no, I totally hear you. I mean, I, I cook, so I cook a lot of these dishes that my mom taught me when I was like in high school. Um, I veganize them. I don't use ghee, you know, I use uh, cashew cream instead of you no know, uh heavy cream or right, something right, like right. that. Um, but I have to use onions and garlic and everything in my base. I, ha- you know, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how not to. There's some dolls of hers that I will make without onions and garlic mm-hmm. because I'm so used to growing up that way, eating it that I just really enjoy it like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'm the same way. My base has to have onions, garlic, ginger. Yeah, I have to yeah, have. base. I don't base, know about you, but you like know?
1: sometimes I start cooking without knowing actually where I'm going with it, and like. The thing I'll just do is just grab an onion and start dicing it and just throw it in a pan because that kind of buys me time because I know pretty much (laughs) like a lot of things I want to do start with that first step. And so it's like a pretty safe first move. (laughs) Totally. You may know my next guest, Rishikesh Herway, from his hit podcast and Netflix show Song Exploder or from one of his other hit podcasts, Home Cooking, or from his musical project, 1AM Radio. I talked to him about his early food memories, and like Many and Sonny, and frankly, so many of us, he came back
4: to his mom. He recently released a song that pays homage to her. You know, it's interesting to be here talking about food and music together, because this new song of mine is actually, to me, connects to both. Because for me, my mom is my, was sort of my gateway to food in general but especially of course indian food she was an incredible cook and that's just how she expressed her love like so many moms Mm. you know and uh and it was my sort of connection to indian culture was was through the food that she made um and this song that i that i wrote is about my mom, um, my mom passed away last year and uh, and it's about that mm. it, it, the the song is about the stream that I had about her um a few weeks after she passed away and in it we had this conversation that was from an era like an earlier era my mom was was ill for for several years before she passed away, and that prevented her from mm-hmm. cooking um, for a lot of that and so in a way, I was kind of um missing this connection to her and to my childhood and, and sort of my upbringing and and in some ways like to my Indian heritage because i didn't have that with her so there there's kind of there's kind of like a long grieving period that all kind right. of went into into this song and in the in the song yoyoma um is playing cello and he's sort of playing the part of oh, my wow. mom in in the song wow <laughs> that's beautiful um it's been yeah. It's, so it's a song that I wrote a year ago, um, but it's it's only now coming out because I wanted to just take my time to to get it right.
1: Wow. And I mean, honestly, if I had to like think about the most beautiful instrumental music I could think of, I mean, genuinely, Yo-Yo Ma on the cello, it's like right. <laughs> way up there in terms of just sonorous, beautiful sounds where you feel like the, the universe is all kind of like in the right place. And so um, yeah. what a tribute it is to your mom to actually choose that as a sort of musical representation of her. If it's possible to just like preview a track, I would love to give
4: yeah. It a Yeah, do you want me to point. play, Should I, I can play you some of it right now if you, if you want oh, to hear? Oh,
1: yes, please.
4: At this point, Rishi
1: played an early, unmastered version of the track and we sat and listened to it together. We'll play an excerpt here, but I encourage you all to stream the entire song when you can. It's... Incredibly touching.
3: You're a piece of a dream now. Just a little too far. I can still.
1: After the track faded out i had tears streaming down my face <laughs> that's just really good oh man thank you so much i don't know what to say i uh, i'm a little at a loss for words because uh yeah my mom is my mom is 70 75 years old or is about to be 75 and yeah you know i think as as you'd expect you know i think it's on my mind, you know, how much time do we have left together and, Yeah. uh, and, and we're very, very close, you know? And so I think, uh, I, I couldn't help but obviously trans, you know, put overlay the, my own, you know, relationship with my mom onto the song and, um, makes the song particularly powerful. So, um, thank you so much. So I wanted to ask, you know, the, in the opening lyric there, there was something about getting water or something
4: that like sort of opening moment of the dream it was, uh, the scene from a time in my life when my mom and I just lived together. My sister was my sister was off at grad school, and my dad was mm-hmm. um, out in the Midwest. He he had gotten a new job, um, working for a company, you know, and he, he had moved off uh, on his own um, to just sort of. He was wouldn't say he was telecommuting. We'd see him, you know, maybe once a month or so, but mm-hmm. it was it was more distant than that. And I, I had um, and I was home for. From, for the summer from college or something like that. But there was just, there was a while uh, when it was, just felt like it was me and my mom at home. And we would have this sort of thing that would happen every night. She would always ask me to bring her a glass of water. Mm. And it was just a little thing. And I would like put it on her, uh, on her nightstand and uh, say goodnight. And I just, rem- and that little mundane occurrence, this thing that would happen to, uh, happened between us all the time, but wasn't anything <laughs> for some reason that popped into my head when I was dreaming.
1: It's so interesting how memory works and how those moments become such salient memories in our brains. And for some reason they just sort of stick and then, and so much becomes attached to that. I feel yeah. that way about a lot of smells, yeah. right?
4: Actually, you know what? I'm only just realizing this now. I think the reason why I actually had that image come into my head is because uh, there's this... We used to have these stainless steel cups from India in, in my house. Um, they are the glasses that I would drink from at you know dinner every night. And when I would bring my mom water, it would be these. It would usually be in one of these stainless steel cups. And I just remembered that after the funeral, when we were sort of going through a lot of things, and my dad was saying, you know, like basically take anything you want. Mm. I found some of the I found those stainless steel cups from, from growing up and yeah. I brought them home with me. <laughs> and so that must have been where that you know that connection came from and it took a couple of weeks for it to percolate into through my subconscious and come out that way but something about that like stainless steel dishware was like such a huge part of <laughs> the food experience in my home too. Yeah. Moments of connection with a
1: beloved mother wrapped up in a stainless steel cup. It's fascinating how memory works. One such memory for me goes back to when I was a kid. Every summer, my family would take a long road trip from Illinois to Florida to go on vacation. We'd pack Tupperware containers full of gimpop for the ride. The smell of danmuji, the pickled radish in the gimpop rolls, would permeate the station wagon. I'd breathe Danmuji air for hours, and to this day, the smell of Danmuji transports me right back to family vacations and that smelly station wagon. Up next, we'll hear about the culinary and musical influence Richie's mom had on him, and we'll take a food-filled spin on an Indian train after this. Coming back to Rishi's mom, we talked a lot about the delicious food she made, but there was one aspect of her culinary prowess that stuck out in his mind.
4: The one thing that she did um, by hand that I still, to this day, I can't understand how she did. She would, um, you know, pull the kernels off of corn on the cob by hand (laughs) in a way that was amazing because it was the, the cob was always like perfectly clean at the end, you know? And, and even when she would just like eat the corn off the cob, I've been eating corn recently and I'm like, gosh, I really should be an adult. Like I always (laughs) felt like, well, I can't, I can't eat it that cleanly, but I'm like, yeah, she's the mom. I'm a kid. It's fine. I'm making a mess. But now I'm probably older than she was when she was doing that. And I, I, my corn on the cob still looks like a mess and I can't do I can't even figure out how she would get the space to do that. But she would pull the the kernels off with her thumb and um, (laughs) it was incredible.
1: You know, it's so funny you say that because if you did like a Pedro, like Almodovar scene of my grandma, my mom and I eating corn, you pan from like my grandma, like expertly. Just like taking row after row of corn off. And it's just like a perfectly clean cob yes. underneath. Yeah. And over to my mom, my mom's also just working away at the corn cob. And then you pan over to me and I'm just like, ah, like wrestling <laughs> with <through> the <laughs> corn cob. And it's like threads of corn going every which way. Yeah. And then flash forward to me as a 40 year old now. And I mean, I, I don't think I've really upped my corn eating game <laughs> right. in any meaningful way since when I was like... 5 years old. Yeah. You know, what um, is that?
4: What what <laughs> ma- what skill did they learn
1: that we have missed out on? I asked Rishi if there was a dish his mom used to make that
4: he enjoyed making. Yeah, my go-to <laughs> and really my one and only go-to is chole. I I started making that um myself in college um because it's kind of like it's a one-pot thing. It doesn't require a lot of ingredients and of all the things that were my favorite, it was the most manageable for me to make. And so, you know, I remember in college when I started getting, uh, you know, I started living off campus and had a kitchen and would start to get invited to things like potluck dinners. And I was like, oh God, I have to make something. What am I going to make? That was sort of the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, here's a favorite dish of mine that I could share with friends. And then later that became a thing that I would make when bands that I was friends with would come Mm. through on tour. Yeah. It's both something that can be made in one pot, but it's really easy to scale up. You just open up more cans of chickpeas. (laughs) And, uh, and so you can easily feed six to 10 people with this one dish. And then you eat it with whatever. You know, you, I usually eat it with rice because it's easy to just like be making the rice in the background while you're cooking this.
1: Throw it on nachos, for example. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: It is so good. So my advanced <laughs> my advanced potluck um offering would be that and then I would also make guacamole, mm. like a big um batch of that and bring that and a bag of chips. Oh yeah. And it would be guacachole. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so you can Take your tortilla chip, stick you know, grab some, some chole with it, and then top it with some guacamole, and it's really good.
1: Rishi's mom also shaped his musical tastes, mostly by playing an ongoing soundtrack of Indian music at home. He played me one song that he was particularly drawn
4: to. I started making a little playlist of songs from that era, the, like these songs that my mom played for me. I remember, um, let's see, I think it's this one
3: rajach rang mali sonyacha baai palang rupyacha khamba tela uncha chi dhala re rupyacha that's
1: gorgeous
4: <laughs> yeah that was a, a song so that's lata mangeshkar singing um and she is I think arguably the most famous Bollywood singer um, Mm. of all time. You might have to fact check me on this, but I think she might have like a Guinness book of world records for the most songs recorded. Oh, wow. Of anybody. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And this was a project where instead of, you know, modern music for modern films, she had recorded these um, older Marathi folk songs. And I remember, I remember she played it for me. and, And when I was younger, just being like, that is awesome. I want to listen to that. And, um, and so for a while I, I stole that tape and, you know, like when I went off to school and things like, I would listen to that and it would make me so nostalgic. I think it was one of the, these like old Indian songs for me. Cause my mom listened to that. She listened to a lot of sort of like sixties era Bollywood stuff. Yeah. It somehow like introduced me to the idea and the feeling of what nostalgia gives you. That's what I was
1: just about to say is I, well, I'm a, I'm a big mushball, right? But like <laughs> that song, the, it is, and it, I don't know if it's the scale or the cadence, it's the, it's the lilt, it's everything, but it just exudes nostalgia. Yeah. And I'm listening to that. I'm nostalgic for an old India that I've never lived. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, the days of like being in the village in India. And like, I'm like, wait a second, I'm not actually Indian. (laughs) Yeah.
4: And something about that feeling, I was like, oh, this is a complex idea that like I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel comforted. uh, I feel like I need comforting and I'm getting it at the same time. It's, I thought that was such a um, complex experience. um, And I really loved that you could get that from music. And I think that ended up being a pretty strong guide for me in terms of the kind of music that I wanted to make. Not that I make music that sounds like that in any kind of way, but in terms of searching for that feeling.
1: We're going to switch gears and take a trip over to India. I've never been, but I do know that when I do go, I'm going to do a full court press on chats or Indian street foods. Chef Manit loves chaat so much, she published a cookbook focusing on it.
2: So chaat translated from Hindi means to lick, right? These are iconic Indian street foods which are lickable. And they're lickable because of the combination of different flavors. So there is like, you know, sweet, spicy, tart, bitter, smoky. It's like if you take a bite of chaat, It literally touches each and every taste, flavor, Mm -hmm. bud that there is. And together, it creates like this incredible party, right? It also (laughs) is a matter of textures, right? So there's crunchy, you know, there is that snap of uh, like, you know, like what you get from mango or the crispy snap or onions, the sharpness from onions or the creaminess of potatoes. Mm -hmm. So it's just that combination. And charts are a religion in India, Right, like literally, you go to any street corner, there will be a chart wala, which is a, the person who makes and sells chart, making chart. Yeah. And that is, uh, so my obsession started really young, like, you know, uh, uh, initially it was because what are they selling that smells really good why can't I have it <laughs> why is it and then as pocket money like as you know pocket money started coming in we would just go ahead and we were not ha- uh, allowed to have the gold guppas. you know they are that um mm. uh, semolina puff stuffed with garbanzo potato and tamarind and then you know the the chatwala would put it in a uh, Uh, A terracotta pot which would keep the water cold of mint cilantro Mm. water and he would just put it in and give it in a bowl and then you would eat it right and it was questionable where the water was coming from so we weren't allowed to have that but you know what When mom and dad weren't watching, my sister and I we would be competing, (laughs) who can eat more? Inevitably come home with a a stomachache, but could never tell them why. So it was just, like uh, it was fun. But that's what uh, charts (laughs) are. And each and every region in India has, you know, iconic charts of its own. So behind the book, you know, we used to travel by trains in India. And uh, the trains in India are unlike the trains here. The windows are open, the doors are open, and... It stops at each and every small station. So like it it used to be three days, three night journeys in a train like you're going and it keeps on stopping at each and every small uh, train station. Mm-hmm. And the local vendors of that city would come to sell their ware. So I would get to taste like literally India by traveling by the train. And then the older I got, I started like this is Chennai, I need to have curd rice and lemon uh, rice. I need to have vadas over here. Like, so it it was like, like my entire itinerary was based on what train stations we're going to stop at and what are the iconic things that I'm going to try from there. So that is a little bit of what the book is about.
1: It sounds like what I need to do is go to India, get on a train with a bib. Some wet wipes and a big bag of coins.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've got to do that with me. That That is the trick of it.
1: Oh, I mean, this sounds like a dream, an absolute dream. Um... So uh, tell me a bit about like some of the other chats that are your, your favorite. Like what are some of your favorite, favorite ones?
2: So uh, the Golgappa or Puchka or mm. Pani Puri depends on which part you are in. That's uh, what it is. Then one of my favorites is a Dahi Papri Chaat. Is, they are these um, flour, deep fried flour crisps, which is mm. topped with uh, a raita, like a yogurt sauce and then tamarind chutney and then onions, tomatoes. So everybody makes it their own. Um Then yeah. bhel, which is a puffed rice chart, which is iconic in Mumbai. That is amazing. I'm getting hungry talking to you about uh, my bhel. stomach has been growling this
1: entire time, Manit. you have no idea <laughs> and i was I was surprised and uh, I say pleasantly surprised to see that in as I understand it, in Hyderabad, biryani is considered to be a chat also and it's served in that way as well. Is that right?
2: So chart is more the emotion of uh, it of us licking the plate that biryani is in. So uh yeah. yes, I mean, b- biryani, yeah. Hyderabadi biryani is out of this world because how we make it is dham style. Dham is steamed. So that means you layer rice and meat and rice and meat and rice and meat and then you seal the container. Um, traditionally in Hyderabad, where I learned how to make the biryani, they put it, they, um, you know, have charcoal. They dig a, uh, you know, a hole, put some charcoal, Put the pot in it, cover it with charcoal and leave it for a couple of hours. So the artistry of the chef who knows exactly how to control that heat, right? And for how long just blows my mind.
1: I think I told you this because last time, one of the last times we talked, we talked about biryani. And I remember when I was younger, I watched like a video of an Indian chef demonstrating how to make biryani. And at the end of the video, he tastes his biryani and actually starts weeping because it's so good and it's genuine weeping. And I remember thinking, wow, there's a food that can like bring somebody to tears. And then I was like, I really need to understand biryani. And so I started eating a lot of biryani and then I totally understood. I mean, it is such a perfect harmonious-
2: Perfect casserole, right? Like you've got everything like the spice and then you put the saffron and the deep fried onions and it's just like, oh God, I feel like biryani right now.
1: And this brings us to the recurring counter jam question if you were stranded on a deserted island and could only eat one Indian dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Can you guess Manit's answer?
2: Biryani. No questions about it. I think it's the most complete meal ever. You have rice, you have the meats. What more can you want? And I'm a fiend for rice. Like you give me rice and I'll be like just a happy person for the rest of my life.
1: (laughs) Okay. What kind of biryani? I have to know
2: um goat goat is my jam like i love goat like it's it's such a like everybody knows uh, about my love and obsession of goat that like uh, every year for my birthday vivek makes sure that there is like like buckets of biryani uh, of uh, goat made for me like in different forms um every wow. time i go to jaipur where vivek's family is his mom makes sure that there is goat in each and every meal I think I come back like 20 pounds heavier, but I'm like, I don't care because this is so good.
1: I love that. You're like, skip the birthday cake. I'll take some goats.
2: I know. (laughs) Just goat,
3: please.
1: Birthday goat, please. Thank you very much. (laughs) And then I have to ask, are there any accompaniments that would come with this goat biryani that you would eat on the side?
2: Onion raita. Simple. Onion yeah. raita. I mean, people do like some salan with it, which is like, especially Hyderabadi salan is made with peanuts and um tamarind and coconut and sesame seed. It's delicious. Like you can either put chilies in it or baby eggplant. Uh, amazing, delicious. But to me, just just raita, but it needs to have raw onions in it.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. And yes, then yes. papadum
2: also would would work.
1: <laughs> okay, <I'll, laughs> well, I will give you a little puppet on this side. And bigger. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Uh, I have to say the combination of biryani and raita is pure heaven for me. Oh, God, I mean, so i I always have to kind of dose the raita I have so I have a little bit to go all the way to the end of the biryani, and I always get annoyed if I get served not the right amount of raita. And I'm, this is me speaking as a non-Indian, so I don't know what the oh yes, standard we, practice, always we always order extra.
2: We always order extra raita on the side i think i think when they do it they're very stingy with the raita you need you need to have that creaminess to coat it and then one of my like guilty indulgences with biryani is whenever i eat biryani i have to eat it with hand like i I think it's a very that zen soulful moment (laughs) where your hand you know meets the uh, the biryani and then that meets your mouth you're like ah. so, so happy.
1: I love it. Um, And you're going to have to excuse me while I run and go and try to make biryani as quickly as possible right now. Yes. Yes. Rishi asked for
4: some technical points of clarification. Wow. And when you say Indian dish, like, do I get sides? Do I get condiments? Do I get carbs? (laughs)
1: Here's what I'll say, because this does come up. It has to be like one thing that you order off a menu at a restaurant.
4: Okay. Okay. okay, Okay. Okay.
1: And not understood to be a like combo thing, right? Right, right? Right? Right?
4: <laughs> I mean, I'm going to stick with my classic here, and I'll say, yeah, I would have chole with you know, which you, when you order it, it usually comes with rice or bread to eat it with. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat and say, you know that that comes free. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and and the pickles come along. And, and the pickles the come. Yeah. Gold. Exactly. Yeah. Sonny was the first guest I'd ever had to answer. With a sweet dish.
0: I, 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 already, I already said I was vegan, but the one thing I do eat when I go to my mom's house, she makes this dessert called Firni, mm. which is basically a rice pudding. And, and it's, it's when I will eat dairy when I'm at my mom's house and she has these there waiting for me. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I got to eat this. Um, I think, I, I, think yeah. I would eat that. <laughs> I think I would choose that. <laughs> or, 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 you know what? No, wait, wait. I'm sorry. That's hard. I feel like maybe that's second, maybe my first is actually Ras Malai, Mm. which is also like, it's like a, it's like a cheese disc, Mm. some a lychee. Oh man, I think, I think I would just do that. It would have to be an Indian dessert because I love Indian desserts.
1: Here's a last track called Where Is Home from Sonny Jane, a song he recorded during the pandemic in 2020.
0: You know, we're reflecting on this idea of where is home, you know, and in the midst of, of how everyone is feeling displaced, how everyone is also feeling enclosed in their home, yet home is kind of your social community as well. So there's that juxtaposition of where is home.
1: A far cry from the frenetic celebratory style of Shruggy G., this song wields the dole drum as more of a meditative rhythmic backdrop to the breathy vocals supplied by singer Shilpa Anav. Enjoy Where Is Home by Sonny Jane. this episode to listen and remember leave a friendly review on apple podcasts if you like what you heard shout out to our guests rishikesh Herway, Manit many chauhan and sunny jane shout out to rishikesh and sunny for providing the music shout out to moms especially my own mom everywhere you deserve all the praise and love in the world shout out to food 52 harry sultan and a big biryani high five to coro lee the producer of counter jam who makes this show happen I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam.